CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Minima.Global and Circle. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to Coindesk TV. It's a Monday. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Will Foxley, Jensen Assey. And is that Sam Kessler? Coindesk superstar reporter Sam Kessler is here today. You know it's going to be fun. All right, let's go do this thing. Some major news is coming out this morning and Jen is going to take us there. Jen, what is up? All right. BlockFi, which was last valued at $4.8 billion, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection as the FTX fallout continues. So in the filing, the crypto firm said it has more than 100,000 creditors with liabilities and assets ranging from $1 to $10 billion. The company also listed an outstanding $275 million loan to FTX US. You'll remember that BlockFi faced liquidity issues when 3AC imploded, and it looks like they could not survive another big hit. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. Another crypto firm filing for Chapter 11. Yeah, I feel like we need some like sort of emoji reactions on the show for all the explosions we've been seeing week after week. You know, FTX is just contagion season. We're going to see more of this. There's a lot of firms that have been tied to FTX. They got loans from FTX. They had accounts on FTX. Uh, we're even seeing some reports of some other stuff going on with the hacking, right? So there's going to be more news about this. BlockFi was definitely a large shoe to drop that some people were expecting because of the credit line that was opened up this summer from FTX to BlockFi. If you remember, just go back in our time machine a little bit. Remember BlockFi needed some funds after what happened with Terra Luna, 3AC. They're looking for someone to help shore up their credit. And even going back further than that, they were fined by the SEC for their involvement in offering an interest-bearing account. SEC did not like that, fined them $100 million. If we look inside this Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing so far, we even see that BlockFi is still trying to pay that off. I think they owe about $22 million to the SEC still. So this is a huge thing to drop. I think I saw from LinkedIn this morning that they have about 500 employees over at BlockFi. It's certainly dropped since the summer. I think they did a little bit of a layoff this summer as well. But now they're going to do even deeper layoffs going to Chapter 11. Probably just going to keep anyone that is needed to keep the fund or the firm rather structured as they start you know, liquidating assets and giving people money back based on what they need. Zach, throw it up to you. Get more details. 
Yeah, BlockFi was once the darling of the crypto lending world. They were seen as sort of the upstanding centralized crypto lender, and here they are fully wrecked over fallout from the FTX implosion. You will recall that also BlockFi received that emergency cash infusion in the form of FTT tokens. Uh, there was a significant amount of, of money that was loaned out to BlockFi when they were in dire straits. And the fact that that was an FTT, not great given what happened with FTT and FTX's demise. So yeah, sad day for BlockFi. I think a lot of people saw this as coming. Once operations were, were kind of halted there, the writing turns out to have been on the wall. And this is sort of that official closure to what many were expecting as another crypto lender sinks. Sam, tossing it to you. Yeah, I think you've both made good points about how this has been kind of not only an indictment of BlockFi as a single platform, but also the crypto lending market in general. One of the things that I don't think we've mentioned yet today is the fact that there are still, you know, lending platforms out there. So um, there was the Genesis that filed um, also, well, hasn't had a file, but is, you know, nearing some sort of like a weird situation that we've talked about in the past. But there's also Nexo which is this platform that still boasts 8 to 10% yields, depending on where you look. Part of those yields are paid out in, you know, Nexo's own token. Maybe it's totally above board. I have no reason to think that it's not, but it, this has absolutely invited scrutiny to those other platforms just by virtue of being another player in the space to file for bankruptcy. So curious to see what happens there. Sorry, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, it's something to consider. I think it's going to change the calculus of a lot of retail investors out there, right? You know, people who had been investing in, in Bitcoin for a long time, they said, hey, I have this Bitcoin is just sitting there. I would love to get some yield on it. And so they turned to all this bevy of crypto lending firms that sprung up to get that additional 7 8% on a top of whatever value was appreciating in those assets over time. So I think that calculus, now that we've seen this unfold so rapidly, that calculus is going to change for a lot of people. A lot of people are probably going to say, okay, maybe I don't need the 6 7 8% yield on these assets. Maybe I am safer to keep them uh, self-custodially in my own keeping as opposed to entrusting them with a, a centralized party in this instance that can go south and can go south quickly. So it's going to be interesting to see what the centralized crypto lending industry comes back, if at all, I think, in the wake of this, or whether or not a lot of these funds you know, migrate to DeFi, if that's something that, that stems from this in a meaningful way. That could be a really interesting moment in the history of crypto. And this could indeed be sort of that inflection point toward a more on-chain crypto economy rather than through these centralized trusted intermediaries that so far have sprung up in these first couple chapters of the crypto story. But yeah, Will, curious for your thoughts. Yeah, I'll take a little whack at the DeFi part of this and then throw it over to Jen. I'm glad you brought up the DeFi angle because I think it's important to notice that these centralized players were often using DeFi in order to give these high interest rate accounts, right? So just mentioned the 8 to 10% on Nexo, Sam. How are they getting that? Well, a lot of times it's just rehypification of assets onto various farms. You're taking those farms, those tokens that you get on those farms and then liquidating it into dollars and then shoving it back into token holders' hands. And for sometimes that works and other times it doesn't work, right? We saw that fail with a lot of stuff what happened with BlockFi and 3AC and Celsius, of course, being the biggest one there. They were, you know, operating on a lot of different farms. Back in May, people were watching MakerDAO. They're watching Aave. They're watching all these DeFi platforms to see, can Celsius pay back their loans or are they going to be stomped out in public fashion on chain? So I think, Zach, you bring up a good point that like, hopefully DeFi can be an answer to this, that there's more transparency when it comes to lending out. I do think it's important to note, however, that like the difference between these two things is the centralized and decentralized. Decentralized alternatives are also not doing as great. I mean, there might not be any bad debt, might not be like anything with Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but oftentimes these tokens 
they've gone down, you know, just as much, uh, 95% plus in some cases, where the native token for these things just don't hold up well during a bear market. And so a lot of times, account holders on these things are not doing great either, unless they're able to cash out into USD, Bitcoin, or ETH. Those things seem to be like the only tokens that are really holding up during a bear market. So to me, when I look at the lending platform scene, I just see not a great place to put any of my money at all. And I, I think that's something that's going to be sort of the legacy out of this bear market. Hopefully the on-chain transparency becomes more of a norm going forward. But I do think a lot of people are going to be scared away from any sort of lending platform for the next few years. Jen, over to you. Yeah, two things that popped into my head as everyone was talking. I totally agree with what everyone has said. I think when it comes to centralized exchanges, we need to pump the brakes a little bit when it comes to solving some of these transparency issues and working with regulators, right? And then when it comes to DeFi, it's like, okay, uh, maybe I'm not going to operate over the uh, in CFI because of what's happening now. But now if I look at DeFi, there are a lot of hacks and exploits that maybe are really hard for the mainstream user to understand how to do the proper due diligence to make sure that they're not going to lose a bunch of money on a hack or an exploit. And so I'm just going to stick to this narrative that I've adopted in the last month or so that maybe this mainstream adoption, this push to bring the next billion users into the Web3 space, we should slow down a little bit and look at solving these issues that are presented to us every single day. Zach, I'm going to give it to you for last thoughts. Yeah, great point. Just a quick one before I toss to Sam. I mean, it's just a different set of risks, right? A different set of trade-offs. You have counterparty risk in one aspect of the conversation, and you have smart contract risk in another. And both those risks can be equally scarring, scary, depressing uh, when they materialize. And we've seen, maybe I think we've seen to date more of the smart contract uh, vulnerability risk uh, rear its ugly head. But now we are absolutely seeing the uh, the counterparty risk rear its very ugly head with the, the unwinding of all these lending platforms. So I think it's something that investors in the space just really need to reckon with. Like these are very real risks and these trade-offs exist and they could impact your bottom line at the end of the day. Sam, last thoughts here. Yeah, one, one last interesting angle to this. One of the unsurprising things, but still interesting things to see in, in the bankruptcy filing was, of course, listed among the top creditors, FTX. We spoke about that earlier, but FTX allowed this thing to perhaps spiral into something bigger than it would have spiraled into had it not fallen earlier. Uh, so this is like weird angle that maybe we can get at later on if we you know, talk about Binance and what they're planning on doing. But this whole thing we're seeing where industry players are coming in and bailing out some of these businesses that at a fundamental level we've seen are, if not fraudulent in this specific case, are at least on shaky grounds. I think we should view some of these attempts to quote unquote, save the ecosystem through a different lens. Is allowing these perpetual motion machines to keep on moving on actually a positive thing when it's eventually going to have to fall apart anyway? I know there's a lot more here, by the way, in terms of why FTX bailed out BlockFi. It might've been for its own motives, but anyway, just thought I'd talk about that. Will, I'll toss it to you. Okay, we're catching up on some news from last week from the Thanksgiving break. And this is actually a pretty big one. And it's a little bit more of a hopeful story uh, that follows up on the sad news about BlockFi. And that's how Binance is getting some more investors interested in its $1 billion raise for an industry recovery initiative. Binance is looking to gather about $1 billion from various industry participants in order to backstop a lot of great projects out there that maybe had bad treasury allocations. Maybe they had treasuries even on FTX. 
or they're just needing you know some cash at the end of this cycle and they didn't really quite get on the good footing. So we see Aptos blockchain jumping on this, Jump Crypto and a few other firms. This is a nice note. This is, I think, a great way to show leadership in this space for Binance. On the other side, it does show that Binance is sort of like the last player with cash standing around and they're trying to get more people uh, in under their umbrella. So I think some people are seeing this a little negatively. So I'm interested to get some pushback on the thought. Zach, can I throw it over to you? Get your take on this headline. Yeah, I'm curious about sort of the business motives here, right? So these are folks who uh, maybe have longer time horizons and are willing to take on distress assets that may ultimately lead to profits down the line, right? So whether those are crypto assets, intellectual property, other assets that might be of value to their operations going forward. I, I would like to see more details on how this makes sense sort of an in investment capacity rather than as this savior thing that's happening around CZ coming in and uh, propping up all these failing firms uh, seemingly just out of goodwill, right? I think probably what this is, is a savvy attempt to maybe bolster the business prospects of Binance and other firms that are in this fund. And I'd be curious to know what the details of that are. And I think we've seen not a ton of details really to date yet on it. So I think I will reserve judgment on and as to what the ultimate intent of something like this is. But it is funny to see all the last folks standing, you know, whether it's Aptos with their significant sums of VC cash or Jump Crypto, which still is somehow standing despite taking some serious blows of the last six to eight months. It's nice to see them chipping in and, and stepping in there and seeing an opportunity where others see, see rubble. So I'm curious to see again, like what sort of the value proposition that these firms participating in this fund ultimately identify here as a reason to invest. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see those details. Jen, curious for your thoughts though. Yeah, at the beginning of the bear market, while we saw some companies fall, we saw this big injection of, of cash also coming into the space. And this is what this reminded me of. While we see a lot of companies falling, there's still a lot of money in the space for promising projects and for builders who are building solutions to real world problems using this technology. On the other side of the coin, we talk about this interconnectedness and this kind of savior complex and issue that happened with FTX. And I just see it happening again. And I wonder if, I, and I'm not trying to FUD, I'm not saying it's going to happen again. It's just there are a lot of similarities and I wonder if as an industry, we are repeating the same mistakes and expecting a different outcome. So I see this as a positive thing, but I think we should proceed with caution and maybe look at addressing these issues we see in the industry in a different way. And I look to the leaders who are creating this fund to make that change. I would love to see them do something different so that we can avoid this same issues we're seeing with FTX happening again. But Sam, I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, I, I see it a lot like you do, Jen. I think that this is broadly, at least in my view, marketing spend. You look at some of these names. So Binance obviously needs to show people that as a centralized exchange, it is not like FTX. And they're actually doing the same thing that SBF was doing, like Jen, you kind of alluded to when SBF started bailing people out at the very beginning of this bear market. Um, then you look at these other two folks, Jump, who was you know notoriously wiped out by the Luna Terra fiasco. We still don't know the degree to which they've been impacted by that entire fiasco, but they also need to share up how people look at them. And then Aptos was this brand new project that has you know been pummeled by the crypto Twitter, if not by the crypto press, because of its strong links to Alameda and FTX. So these folks who are kind of jumping in on this, well, pun not intended, are the ones who need to recover their reputation the most. And then the last thing that I'll say here is I'm really curious to see the criteria by which these firms determine who gets this funding. Like I said in that last segment, if these are folks 
these being the, the businesses that end up getting funded. If these are folks that are on fundamentally shaky ground already, do they deserve funds or should they, like we've seen a lot of commentators talk about, be wiped out with everybody else so that the entire industry has a cleaner starting ground, an unleveraged starting ground to kind of build anew without so many perpetual motion machines. I use that again, schemes, scams, all that. Sorry, I'll go to you, Will. Yeah, last off, the amount of money they're looking to raise is $1 billion, which is certainly a lot of money. I think Binance has been rated uh, well over $30 billion, but it's still like a huge sizable amount of like Binance's market cap if you're going to use that metric for Binance. Probably not appropriate, but the best we can do for right now. And then these firms together chipped in about $50 million. And I just want to compare that against some of the raises we've seen over the last year, including the raises that these teams have been involved in. And Jump Crypto has given money to so many different projects certainly a lot more than they chipped in to this initiative right here. So I think it is a little bit of PR, a little bit looking under the couch for some dimes and pennies to give the kid at the door. I don't really know if it's enough to do anything. We'll see if Binance can raise any more money for this fund, however. So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. Let's talk about the CFTC. CFTC Chair Rostin Benham says, no way, not even close. We weren't even close to proving that thing the FTX was talking about. What are you talking about? We got nothing to do with those schmoes. Get out of here with this. Anyway, that's what he's saying now that FTX down and out. We can talk about this and potentially the cozy relationship that Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX was alleged to have with some U.S. regulators. And this is interesting that they are clearing the air saying this plan for settling and clearing derivatives. Nah, we're still thinking about it. If that, whatever, no big deal. Will, you got any thoughts on this one? Tossing it to you. Yeah, I'll snag it. I think this was an important one just in terms of the regulatory stance for FTX. FTX was cozying up to a lot of different people. In fact, I'm sort of confused how they had the manpower in order to do this. I mean, they were talking to everybody in Capitol Hill. They're talking to people in New York, talking to people in Chicago, trying to basically change some of the rules. Some things in favor of the industry, some things in favor of FTX and Alameda. If you look back to the whole debate between Sam Bankman-Fried and Eric Voorhees right before Coindesk uncovered the huge bombshell, that is a good little uh, review of what FTX was up to in changing DeFi regulations. For this story, the CFTC this is about like how trades are settled on exchanges. And the CFTC uh, basically mandates that trades are settled in a certain way that protects a lot of pe- different people who are using commodities 
you know, from soybeans to corn to Bitcoin. There's a lot of different things that are classified as commodities and they trade in a certain way and they have traded in a certain way for decades. And the CFTC has overseen that for its entire history. FTX came into the room and, you know, they're advertising for digital assets and they want things to be done a certain way. And they wanted things to be settled a certain way in order to benefit their industry. There's some other proponents of the space did not like that because, you know, soybeans trade a little bit different than Bitcoin. And it's not necessarily fair for the new kid in the block to come in and change regulations. So there's definitely some ruffled feathers, shall we say, about that whole situation. Doesn't seem like anything came of it. But I will note that there's a nice quote from Adam here at the end of the story saying, FDX and its management team came in quite frequently. As a chairman of the agency, I wanted to be squarely involved to make sure that I was seeing what was happening in terms of the process with all parties able to participate, he said. So definitely interesting that FTX was able to get in the room. Just think about them being such a young exchange, you know, only two, three years old, and able to get in these rooms with all these legislators and regulators. That's what has me questioning things a little bit. It seems like other people don't have as much of an easy time. But I'm going to throw it over to Sam, get your opinion on this. Yeah, I mean... The weird thing about this entire FTX regulator, government, congressperson link is that while it is unique in the cryptosphere, this is just a thing that happens with business, with interests, where corporate entities have a cozy relationship with the people who make the laws around them. So we've seen the kind of narratives around that viral out, um, partially as a result of this, of course, ending up being it looks like a fraud that ended up toppling. But partially, it's because this is, like Will, you've said, a immature industry. It's only been around for a couple of years. And it is kind of weird that an entity that is so new, FTX, would have these relationships so quickly into its tenure. But this entire story and the broader context around it does have me wondering a little bit more about not only why did FTX have this special role? I'm actually not quite as curious uh, about that side of things like a lot of people are. I'm more curious what's going to happen next in terms of whether these folks who were willing to sit down with FTX are actually going to be willing to sit down with any other new crypto entities moving forward. Who are they supposed to sit down with from, you know, Uniswap? Are they going to sit down with A16Z? I guess they've been around for a while. Are they just going to sit down with banks who are now I guess, a little bit happier with crypto since they've got their heads wrapped around it, even though we are, of course, in this weird bear market where people hate crypto for a lot of good and bad reasons. But anyway, I am super curious who is going to be defining things moving forward because it's not just going to be legislators and regulators sitting down alone coming up with these rules themselves. I'll pass it to you, Jen. I think the CFTC, I've said this before, was tired of living in the SEC's shadows. They wanted that budget. They saw Sam Bankman-Fried as this crypto glory kid who they could get into a conversation with and potentially introduce new bills that would allow them to oversee this industry, which they've been quite vocal about wanting to to oversee. And so I think that that's what really motivated the partnership. It is so worrying now that we know about what was going on behind the scenes at FTX, that, that this relationship could be built, you know, without the proper due diligence happening. I do want to reference um, a little piece of information from the Washington Post because I thought I, I read this this morning and thought, hmm, that's interesting. So uh, the Washington Post said that behind the scenes, according to Terry Duffy, who's the CEO at Chicago Mercantile Exchange, agency officials wanted to approve the proposal. They staunchly defended it in conversation with him this spring, so much so that Duffy, an opponent, told them he would sue the agency over it. 
And so I think as we start to hear more about what was going on behind the scenes and what the CFTC's real motivations are, we're going to see a lot of regulators start to pump the brakes. I feel like it's a little bit damaging to read all of this. So anyways, that's my thoughts. Good stuff. All right. Plenty more to get to. Sam, I'm tossing it to you for your story. What do you got? You know, a quick story here. There's a company called Three Commas. They're a trading bot platform where they allow people to set up bots, link up three commas to their exchange account somewhere like Coinbase or, or Binance, and then execute trades automatically on the user's behalf. In order for users to do this, they share their API keys with three commas. API keys for the exchange, which allow three commas to trade on that user's behalf. But recently, a bunch of users mysteriously started realizing a lot of funds via their three commas API um, keys being leaked out from their Coinbase, Binance, FTX before it collapsed accounts. It was a weird thing. People didn't know what was going on. Over $6 million was lost. And when three commas addressed this, they said, hey, we, we admit, you know, your API keys, your three commas API keys were used. It looks like three commas is who did this, who drained your accounts. But we think that you were fished. In fact, we don't think you were fished. We know that you were fished, meaning you accidentally provided your credentials to some third-party website pretending to be us, meaning you just shared your API keys, you screwed up, you didn't bookmark our site, you used a fake version of our site, and then you shared your credentials with an attacker. So long story short, it's your fault. It's a shame. You got to be more careful. But um, you know, we're sorry it happened. There's a whole group, though, somebody tip coin desk off to this story. And I've been added to this telegram group of a bunch of folks who have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars who are claiming, hey, we did not get fished. We've been in crypto for a while. We bookmarked the sites, like I said, we had two factor authentication. Ultimately, they have no way of proving that they were not fished. But three commas, when I actually sat down with them, their deputy CTO, he was like, okay, we don't actually know that these people were fished. It's a kind of confusing thing. It's, it's a catch-22. Like, what are they supposed to say? I'm curious to hear all of your thoughts on what does this say about the broader landscape? Should three commas have disclosed this? Anyway, a lighter story, but not for the people who lost their money. Give um, me the real dope, Sam. Give me the, give me the, give me the straight talk here. Quit this reporter business. What, what the hell happened here? What's, what's, <laughs> what's your gut say? What the hell it's happened a, here? A, I, don't, I don't need all the hem and all. What's, what's going on? What's going on with this thing? I, genuinely, genuinely, here's what I can, like, I don't know what happened. I genuinely don't know if they were hacked. People really seem to think that they were hacked, but I, I honestly don't suspect that. I'm completely, you know, 50-50 on this one. What I think is concrete about this story is kind of crazy is they went to these folks who say that they were scammed. They were like, you were fished. They gaslit these people into going through their web histories, seeing that there were no phishing sites. It's just, for me, this was just a PR disaster. I mean, there's a, you know another quote that we have there where they were like, hey, if you are saying that you weren't fished, you are not only wrong, but you are dumb. You don't understand how API key <laughs> encryption works. Ouch. Um, and then these people come to me and they're like, we're software engineers. We get how this works. So for me, whatever happened, three commas definitely screwed up. Also, they're backed by Alameda, which is you know a, a crazy... Uh, you know, side note to to this entire story. But yeah, what do you think happened? You, you've got the story. Hey, that's for the readers to decide. <laughs> Go check it out on Coindesk.com. Lots of twists and turns in this one. We have to wrap the show. That's what we have to do. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Sam. We appreciate you being here as always. Thank Jen, you. Will, you guys are great. I'm Zach. That's the show for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Check us out on the podcast network. If you haven't already, we are The Hash. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye.
You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.